Welcome listeners to the Small Business Portland, where we discuss the future of independent business in Portland, Oregon. I'm Eleni Gerding, your host and the president of Venture Portland. Today, we're excited to welcome Faith Jennings to the show. Faith owns a store called Animal Plant Mineral in the Lloyd Center, which is a woman-owned business focused on sustainable fashion and upcycling. It's a place where you're going to find items that are local, handmade, ethical, and sustainable. They also have everything from rocks, crystals, and plants to in-house mending. Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it is a excellent day to learn a little bit more about you and what you do. I think we're just going to dive right in and and figure out, you know, why did you start this particular business? And and maybe even what does it mean to you to be a part of the Lloyd Center community? So kick me off here with some background. How how did you get into store ownership? Well, it was um, 2016. Um, I first learned about the Portland Business Association's uh, holiday pop-up program. And I participated in that originally just with my uh cashmere collection called Faith Hats and did a solo pop-up for the holidays. And that was my first time really doing direct sales of my collection that I've been making for 15 years. So it was new for me and I loved it. And I thought I want to continue with this pop-up program. The following year, I did the same program, but they required that I change my format. So I came up with the concept of animal plant mineral as a cooperative involving several different makers who were friends of mine to bring in their products. So we focused on doing no plastic at all in the whole store. So we didn't even have plastic hang tags or any plastic parts. We didn't have plastic bags, plastic fixtures. Like we really tried to have it be a completely plastic free store. And we sold pottery, we sold plants, we sold cashmere, jewelry, beeswax candles, like a wide collection of gift items. And that pop-up was in Pioneer Place Mall. And that was my first time being in a mall, which was unexpected. Um, And then through that network of people I met, that brought me to Lloyd Center the following year in 2018, again, for a holiday pop-up. And that was through a program initiated in 2018 called the Lloyd Local where they were occupying vacant storefronts with local pop-ups. And that was a great program. And at the end of it, I was exhausted. And I had this 2000 square foot store that I had built with the help of my team. And I just thought, I don't want to move. This is so much work. What would it look like to stay? And I felt like I maybe had some room to negotiate based on how much vacancy the mall had. So I proposed, a, you know, basically a pop-up lease in order to stay because I was not prepared to be a full-time business. I still had a, mostly was a manufacturer of uh, cashmere hats for wholesale. So I didn't really have the time to invest in being a full-time shopkeeper, nor did I really want to be. So I kept the pop-up going in Lloyd Center, doing seasonal openings in the same location without moving out. We did that for about a year. And then in 2019, it became apparent that I should probably make some kind of a business plan and figure out how to be an actual store. So it's kind of been an accidental retail experience that I I never really thought I want to be a a shopkeeper because I'm actually a maker. 
Right. But what an awesome opportunity to have a space for yourself and bring other makers together where you can connect a little more with community. So Lloyd Center, what a long history um, and opportunity, you know, that place has brought to so many different people. And, and what a great way to really maximize on that for yourself and, and your partners there. Well, there's so much to unpack here. And I definitely want to hear more about the Lloyd Center experience and kind of what it's like to shop there with you guys. But tell me a little bit more about what people are going to find in the store. It sounds kind of eclectic. There's a little bit of a lot going on. And it's kind of a gift shop then, really. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a gift shop is probably the most accurate um, category. We have handmade, like I said, handmade items in my cashmere collection. I'm a cashmere uh, restorer, so I make hats and scarves out of secondhand cashmere sweaters and restore and repurpose cashmere sweaters into wearable garments. So that's my collection. The animal plant mineral categories have allowed us to kind of curate things based on what designation they would have. And so plants include things like hand-turned wooden bowls and paper products, as well as living plants and anything that's made out of materials from the natural plant world. And animal represents, you know, the wool and cashmere, leather goods. In my mental uh, game, I, I lump humans in with animals. So that's kind of a broad category. <laughs> and then mineral is like pottery and glass and metals and the rocks and, and crystals that we sell as well. So we're really trying to create a sensory experience. And that's one of the things that has made me passionate about a brick and mortar retail versus an online store. Cause I don't have, I don't have any desire to have an online store and I never have. I want a place where people can have a sensory experience. They can touch the clothes. They can smell the incense. They can see the things we sell records in our store and we play records we have a turntable so they're hearing not just a spotify playlist but actual vinyl analog sound in the room but um you know that's we can well you can tea if you <laughs> yeah maybe you need a little food pop-up here and there in in your store you know that sounds absolutely amazing i want to go and i think a lot of people want that opportunity to get in and actually engage with what they're getting as well as with the people and, and to have the opportunity to potentially meet the maker. So tell me a little bit more about the cashmere. So you, you said earlier that you kind of have a manufacturing business, but you're also really working with repurposing that particular um, material. Where are you getting it? You're just out there kind of shopping around finding old, old sweaters. <laughs> I started that way um, through lots of sleuthing and, and hunting. I found that I can buy 100 pound bales of cashmere garments, used secondhand clothes uh, from the textile recycling industry. And there's many of these places throughout the country. There's none nearby, so I have to ship it. But donated goods are often sold unsorted. So for example, the little kiosks that are often in parking lots that say save the earth or breast cancer or whatever, they're pink or green, and you just dump the clothes into a metal bin. Those are typically for-profit organizations that own and operate those. They take the goods that are donated, they pack them into a shipping container and they sell that shipping container. So it's not going to a retail market. It's going directly into the secondhand 
wholesale market. Those containers are bought by these processing plants, often called rag houses, which are then sorted, graded, packaged and resold to all kinds of things, manufacturers, third world countries, other actual rag makers. So they're buying old sheets and towels and turning them into you know, automotive rags. And cashmere happens to be one of the things they sort for. So I get these 100 pound bundles of cashmere sweaters, mostly sometimes pants and hats and bathrobes and other things, and process that into what can be restored, what can be mended and washed and cleaned and resold as an existing garment, what's too damaged or flawed to be worn, but can be cut and modified into a hat or a scarf. And then scraps are put into these little poof uh, ottoman cushions. So I'm really working toward uh, protecting the cashmere uh, that exists in the world, educating people about the, in my opinion, the only truly sustainable fashion is secondhand. And we can go off on a whole green washing oh. and eco fashion tangent if you want, but um, <laughs> that might I'm be sure, another I'm topic. sure we could. Um, my yeah. curious, cause you know, I, I get the pieces that can be mended and fixed and kind of get back out there because yeah, we don't want to just be throwing this stuff away. We want to have an opportunity to have that secondhand experience, but you're a maker. So tell me a little bit about your artistic process. When you see some of this stuff and you're going to transform it into something else, what is that like for you? When I open up the bundle, it's like, you know, Christmas or birthday morning kind of thing. Like it's so exciting to then dig through because it's, you know, it's 40 years of cashmere or, or 60 years of cashmere. It's not just, you know, it's, it's collected this year, but it, you know, people have uh, donated these things for many generations of, or decades of, of cashmere manufacturing. So I see a lot of incredible vintage. Like I said, I occasionally find like a bathrobe or some other incredible thing. So that is a very exciting process. Um, when I was doing private label manufacturing for a, a Swiss company where to define that word, it basically means I make and produce and design the product, a different company puts their brand on it. So mm. it doesn't have my brand name on it at all. I'm not affiliated. I'm a contractor, um, but I'm, producing and making this stuff for them, which works out great because I don't enjoy sales and marketing. I enjoy making. So uh, it was a great relationship that kind of um, expired during the pandemic. That process um, introduced me to dyeing. And what I learned is that cashmere dyes beautifully. And dye for me is a way to be more artistic with what I'm doing. Um, cutting and sewing is not creative in itself, it's a trade. So in the manufacturing process, I don't get a lot of opportunities to be creative specifically. I mean, I may be picking color combinations of, you know, these two colors look nice together, but that's where it stops. So with dye, I can get into, you know, shibori folding and tie dyeing techniques and solid color transformation and ombre dip dyes where it fades from light blue to dark blue, or, you know, there's all of these unexpected outcomes, particularly because I'm also dying over the existing color. So what does yellow look like when you put it in black dye bath? You know, it turns olive green. It doesn't necessarily turn black. So there's a lot of discovery and um, experimentation that is exciting for me 
Um, yeah, that sounds fun and exciting. So you mentioned the pandemic a, a moment ago and that your store really kind of solidified in that space around 2019. How did things shift for you there? Being somebody that doesn't want to have an online sales experience, you know, how, how, how right. did things work for you? Well, because we were in a mall, we were mandated to close by the government. Um, so there was that phase where we're just like in business one day and then closed for two months or three months. Um, I think the mandated closure was close to two months, but um, when the mandate was lifted, we didn't rush back to go back to work because for one thing, um, our cooperative model in the workers in the store, we don't, we don't have, or at the time didn't have any employees. Everyone who worked there sold their things in the store and had, it was kind of a working membership program. So of the seven people in the store, four of them were moms of school, school aged kids. So they were suddenly not available to really participate anymore. And so a few other people, you know, their lives just took drastic changes. And so it ended up being really, we took about six months off from when the pandemic started until it was right around the, the uh, 2020 election cycle that was so stressful that I, I just couldn't deal with media anymore. And I was like, I need a creative project to put my mind and energy into. It was like, well, Christmas is coming. I should, maybe we should reopen the store. And so we started working on that and reopened in November of 2020 with a very different approach in the sense that we, instead of doing this kind of seasonal pop-up model, well, I guess in 2019, we were open like full business hours for a while. And that was, it was great when we had a full team, we were open mall hours and it was working. But when we reopened in 2020, we basically took a very new approach, which was that instead of the customer is always right, it's now the customer is lucky to get anything. And that was, <laughs> yeah. that was kind of what was happening during the pandemic. It was like people no, no longer, hopefully no longer expected everything just to be available at their beck and call at any time in great quantities for no money, you know, like mm -hmm. consumer expectations shifted a lot during the pandemic. And that was really helpful for me because I don't believe the customer is always right. I think shopkeepers and business owners should be allowed more autonomy to be whole people and not just be servants to capitalism. <laughs> and so, you know, that's one of my struggles with having a store is that I also want to have a life, you know, I don't want to go to the same place every day for seven days or, you know, every week, seven days a week. I liked the, some of the shifts that the pandemic brought on. Absolutely. What is it like being in the Lloyd Center today? Um, kind of orient me with where you guys are located. If somebody wants to come visit you. Where are they going to, where are they going to enter? Where are they going to find you? So I always tell people to go to the Halsey street parking garage. That is very secure, safe parking. It's sheltered parking. It's it's a adjacent to Barnes and Noble for a reference point. We are on level two, which is um, street level from that side. Anyhow, um, we are in the old Nordstrom wing. If, you know, as a reference point for old Portlanders. Um, so that's the west end of level two. 
Um, I used to say we were that we're opposite H and M because we are we're directly facing them, and I like the word opposite instead of across from because also philosophically we're pretty much opposite from H and M. Yes, so, we are. <laughs> um, I liked that juxtaposition. I don't have any love for fast fashion. I would happily snap my fingers and remove it from the earth in one instant if I could. The well, they're not. I mean, what they're contributing to a lot of stuff going into landfills and things too, right? I mean, as and well, tremendous exploitation of women and children pr- predominantly, tremendous exploitation of resources and pollution, tremendous exploitation of just our mental space as people and as consumers to have this constant flux of new, 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 new. And I mean, there's just no good coming from this company at all. So the old stuff is better anyway. Um, Tell me about some of the vintage things that you have. Um, It's, it's a team effort. There's been a few different buyers and curators who brought the vintage in. I'm one of them and um, I love all clothes. I mean, I think fashion is, a, you know, it's a lovely way to express ourselves as humans. And I love well-made durable clothes. So having a the cashmere is one arm, but the secondhand and vintage stuff, I want to bring out to people just so that there's access to good quality clothes. Mall, especially Lloyd Center is not a fancy mall. And even when it, we had more of the brick and mortar stores, they tended to be lower price point stores. And so it was the kind of place people went when they needed to get something basic and affordable. And I understand the challenges of poverty and ecological consumption. And that's where secondhand comes in. You actually can buy a very sustainable, earth-friendly, you know, green fashion garment very cheaply if it's used buying something that's made from organic cotton and hand sewn locally and hand dyed. And, you know, that's going to be a hundred dollars or $200. And so I really am passionate about making sustainability affordable. And that is something that I think has gotten lost with a lot of the talk about sustainability in general, in all things. It's like, yeah, save the earth, buy a Tesla. Okay, great. I'll, I'll get right on that. You know, like I can't afford a Tesla. And so I drive an old truck. It's like, we make economic decisions first a lot of times. And I want to help educate people that being sustainable does not have to mean spending a lot of money. So we are competitive in our pricing at the mall with the fast fashion stores. You know, if they're selling $10 jeans, we're trying to sell $10 jeans, but we can do that sustainably because it's secondhand. Tell me a little bit about um, your Instagram. I was perusing it and I absolutely loved it. There were so many fun things. And one thing that really caught my eye because I am a, a new kitten owner was um, pet friendly plants. Is, is yeah. that something that you guys kind of have specifically you know, there? It, it was something that enough customers started mentioning and asking about that. I just learned, you know, did my own education and found out which plants are pet friendly and, you know, one of the things I love about being in a customer service relationship in a brick and mortar store is just getting that feedback from people and getting, being able to help people. You know, I generally like being of service. 
I like problem solving and, you know, I don't like computers and I don't really like interacting with social media as much as I should do to benefit the business. So it's, that's one of my push and pull things is like, I wish the Instagram was better. I, you know, I wish I had more passion for that, but um, thankfully other people in the team put energy in and it works out. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. If you don't want to do something, who does? Um, And I think as a business owner, we're always kind of um, navigating that, you know, we want to have that autonomy, that flexibility. And as you were saying earlier, you don't want to be a slave to the store and you don't want to do things you don't want to do, but there are other people that do. <laughs> so yeah. having those as, as partners, speaking of getting outside of the store, what do you do in your free time? What are, what are you passionate about outside of um, working with cashmere and whatnot? I mean, my, my big picture of passion is sustainability and you know, I have spent a lot of time educating myself on sustainable fashion, but um, I also ride a bike. Predominantly, I don't actually own a car. I have a garden plot at the um, Kennedy School Community Garden, which I am new to as of last year, but what a gift. I mean, the community garden program in Portland is just a tremendous thing. I wish there were more gardens and more opportunities for people to do that. And I love, I love traveling. I love collecting beautiful old things and um, cooking delicious food from scratch. You know, as, as much as I love that Portland has a big restaurant scene, I rarely eat out, especially now past the pandemic. I just um, became even more passionate about cooking from scratch and, you know, I'll spend two hours making dinner. No problem. Well, it's better than spending two hours waiting outside of somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, well, you there's a lot of joy and love for people to engage with their food and um, have be a part of that process of understanding, you know, where you're where you're getting it if you're growing it and, and what you're doing to transform it into something that you enjoy that feels really nourishing. So. Well, so many amazing things that you shared with us today. I bet you've got some pretty good pro tips or, or, or places for people to start, depending on whether or not they're, they're looking to do what you do or, or just to shop in a more mindful manner. I mean, you've had a lot of advice and thoughts on, on just kind of how we're engaging with our world. So if you were to share something, what do you think? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'll share two thoughts. Uh, the first one just is a general like heads up to people, to shoppers. I hear majority of the customers every day walk into my store. Oh my gosh, this place is amazing. I can't believe it's just, I wish I could live here and full of compliments and they don't spend a dime. If you love a store, buy something, just find a $1 item, give the shopkeeper the benefit of the transaction. It's less about how much money they're making and more about you acknowledging that they're not here to be a sightseeing opportunity for you. They are here to participate in commerce. And so it's kind of the shopper's responsibility, I believe, to engage in that and try to find something to buy. If you're out killing 10 minutes because you're waiting for your eyeglasses, I understand that you're not shopping, but I wish more people could really understand how much that means to the shopkeeper buy a postcard you know spend 75 cents 
it's not about the money, it's about the transaction. So that's one, one part. Um, the other part is just a little bit of professional advice because sweaters are my business and we're in the midst of changing seasons, though it's very cold today, so people are probably wearing their sweaters. But when it's time to put your sweaters away for the summer, I encourage you to wash them. And a lot of sweaters, especially wool and cashmere on the tag, will say dry clean only. That is basically fake news. Cashmere and wool can be laundered. Everything that I sell in the store has been machine washed at least once, sometimes twice. The key to not shrinking your sweater is to wash it only on cold, use only delicate or a very little amount of soap, and never ever put it in the dryer. Hang it to dry. As long as you wash it on cold, don't use a lot of soap, use delicate soap, and hang it to dry, your sweaters will be fine. Hold on, I'm, I'm taking I'm taking notes here. Yeah. <laughs> so hang it, don't lay it flat, and it's okay if it goes through the hang, skin cycle. Hang or, or lay it flat. Just okay. don't. It, how you position it to dry is less important. Just never in the dryer. And it's okay if it gets it goes in the in the spinning. Uh huh. Spins out. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only um, notable thing is that some washing machines they're delicate cycle is actually a warm water wash. So if you know for sure that your delicate cycle is a cold wash, then delicate is probably better than just a regular full energy wash, but only put it on the delicate if you also can control the temperature. Um, I learned this the hard way in the laundromat is that the delicate cycle in the laundromat is warm. So I shrunk a couple sweaters that way, but so the back reason to, I bring this, yeah, I was going to say back to the reason why do we, they need to be clean? So moths are attracted to dirt. They little tiny, you know, not even visible to your eye, part, particles of food and human skin and sweat and things are mm -hmm. in your clothes. And if you've been wearing your sweater all winter and then just pack it up and stuff it in your closet, the moths are just thrilled. It's a buffet and it's dark and it's not being disturbed. For months at a time and then you pull your sweater out in October and you're like why is it full of moth holes because you'll never see a moth in your closet either they're very stealth so best practices to keep your cashmere moth hole free is launder it launder it launder it keep Ex your cashmere and your wool clean. right because one day you're not going to want it anymore and it's going to end up in your hands and it right. could be in much better condition for somebody else to use and the the other thing I'll add is you mentioned the mending at our store. Cashmere mending and moth hole mending is one of my specialties. So if you have a sweater that's already got some holes, bring it in before you wash it because the laundering process will make the holes bigger. So step one really is mend and then wash and then dry and then store. And But we do other mending too. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been great information. I, I literally was taking notes, so <laughs> I'm very excited and, and thought provoking. You gave me a lot of things that I've kind of dabbled in a little bit, but I really am interested in looking into more in terms of how we are engaging with stores, how we're engaging um, with, with just the, the clothes in our lives, because this is an ongoing thing for everybody, right? We, we get things and what are we doing with them? So yeah. I really appreciate all that. I'm going to ask you one last question before we wrap up today, because I just love to ask people this one. 
What's your favorite thing in your store right now? Oh, I, my favorite thing in the store right now is a brand new collection that my business partner has just, um, is preparing to launch on April 1st. Uh, her collection is called Perpetual Meadow. She does a, a mixture of handmade and upcycled, but the product that I begged her for for months and she um, has finally completed a batch of upcycled 100% cotton underwear. And if you know how hard it is to find 100% cotton underwear, it is not an easy thing. Everything has spandex in it and polyester and acrylic, whatever. She's upcycling vintage t-shirts into cotton briefs. So some of them have like howling wolves imagery on them. Some have swooping eagles and she's found really great cotton t-shirts as the base and then sewn these really cute and very durable, functional, well-made underwear. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited for our Earth Day weekend events coming up in April as our mission of sustainability is one of our primary reasons for being there. We're taking advantage of the Earth Day energy to do a strut your stuff fashion show on April 20th. And then we're going to be doing some in-store mending events and fashion like repair and uh, clothing uh, workshops on Earth Day itself. Yeah. I'm so glad that, that you were able to share that. Um, if you're listening to this and you pass that event, that's that's too bad for you. But if you're catching it in time, uh, check that out. Also, Instagram is one of the best ways to engage and to see what is going on with Faith and everyone at Animal Plant Mineral and the Lloyd Center. So make sure you are checking that out. What is your Instagram handle? It's animal.plant.mineral.pdx. Perfect. Thank you so much, Faith, for spending time with us today to share a little bit more about being a woman-owned business here in Portland. You've been listening to the Small Business Podcast, hosted by me, Eleni Gerding, produced by Sarah King. You can connect with us on Instagram at Venture Portland, and make sure to check out our website for the latest info on business districts, the Small Business Podcast, webinars, and events at VenturePortland.org. Until next time, shop and support local, because small businesses build strong neighborhoods.